I'm going to be bold with my approach because, as my Geordie mother says, shy bands getting out. So you have to translate that for some of us who don't know what that means. (laughs) Shy children don't get anything. Ah, very interesting. If you want something, then you have to really reach out and try and grab it. Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. It might seem like a long stretch to go from lawyer to co-lead brewer at Truman's Brewery, one of the most iconic of British brands. But not if you listen to the advice of our guest's mother. Charlotte Cook wasn't shy, and she grabbed what she could. It literally took one sip of IPA to get her to change her career from would-be lawyer to would-be brewer. But let her tell you how. Um, I grew up in uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne, well, just outside of Newcastle-upon-Tyne, um, but I've spent the past 10 years in Scotland, so that's why I have a slightly weird accent. Um, yes, it's not your typical Geordie accent. No, it's not particularly that Biker Grove. I guess it's a slightly posh Geordie accent with a bit of Scottish chucked uh-huh. in there as well. Um, and um, I see that you went to uh, university at university. Well, at, you did a law degree. Yes, I at did. University of Edinburgh. Yes. So did you always want to be a lawyer? Um, I think I always wanted to be rich, which was probably... <laughs> I love your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> which is probably what drove me to, to do law. And also I can be quite argumentative. You know, I'd fight my way out of a paper bag if I could argue with it. Did you win those arguments? Uh, not always. <laughs> That's why you wanted to go to law school, to yeah, figure out a way to, to win. To learn how to argue. Yeah, you spend four years getting taught how to win arguments. And how, how's your argument skill? How are the argument skills now? I'd say I'm a bit more diplomatic than I was when I was uh, at law school, <laughs> perhaps. Um, so um, you were doing this law degree, and um, but obviously we're here at Truman Brewery. Yeah. So that didn't go as planned. Yeah, it's a bit of a leap, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> were you drinking a lot of beer and then thinking, oh, maybe I like this better than law? Um, yeah, it was, um, it was kind of, I've, it was about 2009, 2010 when craft beer was really, really starting to take off. And especially in Scotland when Brewdog were really sort of crashing into the scene and everyone in Edinburgh was kind of, oh, let's go and try this new beer that tastes completely different to all the other beers that we've got. Um, and I think it was from the first sip of hardcore IPA that I had, it kind of, I just thought... I want to make this. I want someone to teach me how to make this and this is what I want to do. Prior to that, I used to drink cider and um, I didn't even like beer until I was about 20. And by the time I was 22, I was a professional brewer. So it was quite a uh, quite a leap. So do you think it was that there was something new that you wanted to try? Because you said you didn't really drink beer. Yeah. So why do you think you even took that first sip? Um, I think it was just because, yeah, it was something new and I didn't expect to like it. 
And I thought this is going to be the same as all the other beer that I dislike. Um, I didn't really like the bitterness. I was much more into sweet things. Um, and I think it was also probably around about the age where your palate changes naturally, where things become a little bit more refined. You have slightly more adult tastes than you did when you were younger. And so I kind of slowly went off cider and turned on to beer. But I think that I probably wouldn't have done it if it hadn't have been for the more interesting craft beers that were out there. So they did a great job in, in um, advertising or marketing to, you know, to, yeah, I to, guess, uh, youths or, or the Edinburgh crowd. Yeah, I think kind of a 20, 20 year old. Uh-huh. For you, a non-beer drinker, to try it and then go one step further to say, I want to learn how to make this. Yeah, it was a, yeah, it was a big a big step and a big change and definitely not really what I was expecting to be um, doing. Um, did you think, I mean, was it really that, um, you know, that flash of lightning that struck that minute you took a sip? Because you were pretty ingrained in a law degree. Um, I think it was. I think by that point I knew that I'd probably didn't want to be a lawyer but I was still sort of entertaining the thought of doing graduate schemes and kind of continuing with law and I think I had that taste and it really it was just a flash of lightning it's like this is so much better than everything else that I've ever done in my life and this is what I want to do and so I decided that I would do it so how does one do that um well I was quite you lucky did, how did you do that <laughs> so I think I mean I think that I got in at precisely the right moment I had a, I was very lucky in the um it was 2011 I think when I started and it was when you know people were starting to get a bit more interested in actually pursuing this as a career now the job market's much more competitive than it was then um but Brewdog were advertising for um entry-level staff at their brewery up in Fraserburgh And I thought I'd just give it a go. So I sent my CV. I think I swore quite a lot in my CV, in my uh, cover letter. (laughs) You actually wrote down swear words? Yeah, I think I I said that I was so impressed by Brewdog and I wanted to work there because it had brought beer away from the real old (laughs) and made it cool again. We may have to beep that out, by the way. That's (laughs) fine. (laughs) But uh, it's, um, yeah, I thought... You know, it's a bold company. I'm going to be bold in my approach because, uh, as my Geordie mother says, shy bands get out. So you have to translate of, that uh, for some of us who don't know what that means. <laughs> shy children don't get anything. Ah, very interesting. So mm-hmm. If you if you want something, then you have to really reach out and try and grab it. Was your family so pretty supportive of this? Yeah, they were very supportive. I mean, my but- parents both worked in the NHS and have always said the most important thing in your job is to be happy. And so they were very supportive. That it was something that I wanted to do. So I was clearly really driven to do and impassioned by. And they've been supportive all along. I mean, you know, they've uh, put me through a master's degree. They've sent me to Yakima to go to the hop harvest, you know, when I didn't have enough money to play for, pay for a flight to Seattle. So they've been, uh, they've been very supportive and very helpful. And without them, I probably wouldn't be in the position that I am now. So I'm only asking that because my parents still to this day say, are you sure you don't want to go to law school? That's why. 
No. Uh, the drinks industry is much better. So BrewDog saw that word and said, we have to hire this girl. <laughs> right. Maybe. <laughs> It was a uh, it was a pretty um, it was a pretty intense interview actually. Uh, at that time, you would go up to the brewery in Fraserburgh for a week, and it was I think the first week of January. And right. for anyone who hasn't been to the northeast coast of Scotland, it's uh, it's cold, it's windy. Fraserburgh has its charms, but it's never going to be people's number one tourist destination in Scotland. I think it's fair to say. Uh, so you know, I arrived at this industrial estate in the dark at eight o'clock in the morning in a place I'd never been to before with steam like rolling out the door and heavy metal blasting I just kind of walked in two heavily bearded guys looking very intensely at something and kind of little me wandering in thinking oh gosh is this really the place and this is just the interview right and this is well this was <laughs> yeah the first day um so I went there for a week uh did seven days on the trot working Ooh. in the brewery just cleaning doing the you know the things that keep the brewery running but are you know simple enough for somebody who doesn't know much about brewing and beer Mm -hmm. to do um it was hard work I mean by the end of it I could barely walk (laughs) I'm sure just to lift a you know a barrel is tough yeah they are they're pretty heavy Mm -hmm. um you know 30 liters 50 liters yeah especially if it's Uh, full right yeah they're heavy things and malt mm-hmm. sacks are 25 kilos. Um, but with that, I just worked out my techniques. What worked for the big burly guys didn't mm-hmm. work for me. But if I kind of, you know, adjusted my, my technique, I could do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I just loved it. It was kind of, I think it was one of those things where I thought if I didn't get this job, then I'd be absolutely just broken and shattered. And, you know, it was what I wanted to do so much. And yeah, they gave me the job and I learned a huge amount there. It was a really, really excellent place to learn. Um, the head brewer at the time was a guy called Stuart Bowman, who to this day I think is one of the most affable and wonderful people that I've ever met. And he was always very, um, you know, very happy to share his knowledge, would always be very patient with you and explain precisely why something needed to be done and make sure that you understood it. Um, you know, I think... Uh, you know, it was the most fantastic head brewer. Um, and, you know, I can only hope to be half as good as he was. Um, but, you know, I learned a lot there. I learned how to brew well and how to keep standards high. Because I think, you know, a lot of criticism can be leveled at BrewDog for various things. But I think that they are completely dedicated to making excellent beer. And I think kind of, you know, Martin Dickey's focus is certainly on quality and making sure that everything that leaves the brewery is done to the best that they can do. Well, I guess, you know, anyone, especially, you know, you coming from um, Edinburgh, being new there and living in this place that there's nothing around it, really. No. That you have already shown a dedication yeah. to wanting to learn. Yeah. You are there. And mm-hmm. I guess you were there for about three years, right? Yeah, like exactly. Three years, three years that yeah. pe- you give up a lot being a young person. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you're in the center of Edinburgh having no. a good time. I can't even imagine what the social life is. <laughs> I mean, it's all kind of inbred there that you have to have a passion yeah. already going into the job, to, yeah. even the application process. Mm-hmm. And that they see that mm-hmm. and they see the willingness. Otherwise, you probably don't last about, you last two minutes there. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. uh, I think that maybe uh, in the early days did have a bit of difficulty with staff retention. But yeah, like you said, it's just, 
very remote. It's mm. far from far from home for a lot of people. It's cold and dark and damp and unless you unless this is absolutely what you want to do, it's you know, it's mm-hmm. not the place for the faint hearted. <laughs> so you were a perfect sponge really. You yeah, just I think took so. everything in and I loved every bit of it. Yeah, I just wanted to know everything. I wanted to be involved with everything and just do everything, mm-hmm. you know. I was probably quite uh quite greedy and trying to get taught things and would, you know, try and always sneak in and find out what other people were doing and try and wheedle my way into taste panels so I could learn about beer tasting and things like that. So, Well, how long do you think it took you? I, well, I guess I know you were there three years, but how long do you feel when, when there was a, that other um, lightning bolt that said, wait a sec, I know, I know this. I, I, I got it. Yeah, I, I can think, move on, you know. Um, I think I probably realized that I could do it after about a year and a bit. So we did an all-female brew day at the original Fraserburgh Brewery um, whilst uh, whilst the new Ellen Brewery was up and running. So I think about 12 of us went up there and made a beer. We made a um, like a Thai-spiced IPA. It was really nice. Um, but that was, you know, I felt a lot of pressure because it's like, you know, I'm, make, I'm making this beer. Brewdog are putting their name to it. So it better be good. Um I don't think they would have let so, you do it if they didn't trust you, probably. Yeah, uh-huh. I would hope so. Um, and, you know, Martin helped me with the recipe. James gave his support to do it. Um, the Fraserburgh Herald came down and did, a, did an article about it, so that was quite cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think when that, when that went out, and kind of the day after the beer um, launch, when I was sitting reading the beer reviews on the internet the next day, it was like wow I've made this this is something that's come out of my brain and people have sat and then taken the time to write what they think about it and people have actually liked this it's like I actually know what I'm doing (laughs) well I guess the technicalities of brew making or beer making anyone can learn but the tongue is probably something that just can't be taught you have to either have that or not yeah and it I think yeah a palette is a palette for creation is something that not everybody has so there's some really excellent brewers who aren't particularly great recipe designers and some really great recipe designers who might sort of like you know not be the best in the brew house it's so the, yeah you've got to find a combination yeah. if you don't have it yourself yeah but you seem to have it <laughs> well, I hope so so was it difficult to leave there and go to your next venture um well actually when I left Brewdog I'd recently been diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis mm-hmm. so I wasn't very well when I left Brewdog and it was more sort of a I just needed to go home and stay at my parents house for a, a little while actually it was just before Christmas when I left and kind of uh for most of the January I couldn't walk because my oh, feet had swelled up so much and I was uh you know really not in a very good place um so it was more of a more of a necessity you know I got I got ill and could no longer really do it and actually I just needed a little bit of TLC at home did you think ever that you wouldn't be able to go back to doing what you wanted um I did for a bit I actually during that time I thought about going and doing a law master's um, at one of the universities in Aberdeen part-time, just something to kind of keep myself ticking over. But, you know, not long after that kind of particularly dark January, the medication that I was on started to work and, you know, life sort of slowly got its colour back somewhat. Um, so it wasn't... So, yeah, I think for a while I didn't want to do it, but I 
sort of persevered and I'm really glad that I did. I think that my life's definitely better doing what I do now than if I'd gone back to do law. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, gosh, um, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have the Truman Brewery we have now, <laughs> but we're going to get to that. Um, so, but you then went on somewhere else. Um, yeah. So did you little... again put out your CV with a cover letter? With, um, no. With the, with the naughty word in it? <laughs> Not that time. <laughs> um, I actually, well, I went to work at Pochiala in Tallinn. Um, but I previously worked with their head brewer in Brewdog. So they needed some help. So I went over and gave them that. And what was it like living there? I really loved it. It's a really, really beautiful place. Mm-hmm. Um, Estonia, I don't think, is on too many people's sort of list of places mm-hmm. that they visit. But I tell everyone, like, you know, if they're asking where, where to go for a long weekend. So I go to Tallinn. It's beautiful. There's, you know, nature, there's city. The people are really nice. There's good food, good beer. Well, I don't think Estonian beer is really on most people's no, list I don't think to drink. So. No, and how was it when you got there and kind of when you left? It was definitely growing when mm-hmm. I left. Um, I know that there were some difficulties with the taxation system that the government was putting in place, and that was definitely driven by you know the big breweries in Estonia, so Saku and Alakok and breweries like that. Who by that point. Estonia is a small country and Pohjala were doing very well. So I think they were, by that point, the fourth biggest brewery in Estonia and might have come under a tax bracket that could have potentially, you know, caused a lot of difficulties for them and for all the other smaller breweries as well. Um, So I think there was a little bit of nervousness about how that was going to go. But in terms of the beer actually being produced, there's loads of really great breweries. I mean, Pohjala, I think most people who know what they do, know that they do it very well. They're definitely one of the most exciting breweries in Europe. Uh, The team there work really hard to make really great beer. Um, But there's other ones as well. There's um, like Puhester Brewery as well. Um, There's Sorry Brewery, whose beer's fine. (laughs) Um, You know, it's, uh, there's a lot of people who are doing a lot of good work out there. But then Truman came calling. Um, Yeah, so I'd never lived in London before. And uh, James, our managing director, approached me. Um, just, I think that, you know, uh, Truman's has been very well known as producing really good quality, consistent cask ales and, you know, really kind of putting out the traditional beers. Um, but I think with the market being as it is, and especially in London, you need to have that little kind of fresh edge too. So um, Truman's came calling and said, do you want to help us sort of revamp all of our brewing and beer styles? And I said, yes, and came <laughs> along. Um, so there's two lead brewers here. There's myself and uh, James Rebagliati. And, you know, we basically just kind of ripped up the recipe book, uh, changed the water profiles for everything, made everything a little bit more modern, um, a little bit fresher, a little bit kind of crisper, a little bit more daring. And, uh, you know, we just worked really hard for six months to kind of crack the crack the beer and you know the sales have increased and people say like oh Truman's is really consistent I see it everywhere whenever I have a pint of your roller it always tastes great which is you know as the brewer precisely what you want to hear Um, well you know Truman obviously people they probably think that Truman's has existed 
mm-hmm. since 16, the 1600s because yeah. it is such a big name recognition, especially yeah. in London, because yeah. of the old Truman Brewery mm-hmm. being still a place that you can go yeah. in Brick Lane. And so even I, before doing research, thought, oh my gosh, that's the same one that's been around. Mm. I'm going to go visit her on Brick Lane. Oh, well, oh no, 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 that closed down. Yeah. And um, But in my research, it was always known, I, or Benjamin Tr- Truman, made it famous because of a very dark yeah. style mm-hmm. of beer making. Please mm-hmm. tell me if I've got this wrong. Oh, no, you're you correct. Um, and then I guess that kind of grew out of fashion. And at one time it was the biggest brewery pretty much in the world because mm-hmm. England was one of the biggest countries in the world and most powerful. Um, and then unfortunately it disappeared mm-hmm. and then it came back. Yeah. Now when it came back, did they use those or, or try and find or do research for those original um, kind of ale types yeah. first? And that's why they brought you in for the new kind of the new um, ones? Yeah, I'd say so. So we're really lucky in that we have access to loads of the old recipes from Truman's. Um, so when the name was bought, some of the kind of the intellectual property came along with it. Um, so the first brews that we did um, were done contract brewing and they were based upon original recipes. And, you know, they were very sort of traditional, like a running ale and a best bitter and a golden ale. So, you know, very traditional cask beers. Um, and they were brewed uh, off site by another brewery for a few years until the site here was opened in 2013. And the very first beer that we brewed here was um, London Keeper, which is an original 1880s recipe, um, which is delicious, an export stout at 8%, so it's quite a a hefty beer. Um, So, yeah, there'd been a lot of the the traditional brews going forward, and, um, you know, I think it had always been well-regarded as a traditional brewer, but there's a lot more that we can do than just, you know, the traditional cask beers um we've got a really young creative team here so there's a lot of uh, a lot of interesting things going out when you got here did you have to start making new recipes yourself i mean is that something that you do um yeah yeah um so we did that pretty much straight away so tasted some of the beers and, and, and this is the two of you yeah okay uh, so we tasted the beers and decided what we liked what we didn't like and then decided what we wanted to do and where we wanted it to go so we kind of looked at um we kind of looked at everything that was in can and everything that was in keg and it was all fine but there was a lot of sort of room for improvement and you know if you if you put in a little bit of effort to make things taste better and if you invest a little bit of money then you can sort of multiply the flavor a thousand times um, so yeah, we just kind of tweaked, we changed the order in which hops were being added. So we would add them later. So you get more aromatics and less bitterness. Mm-hmm. So we were trying to utilize things to the most effective way that we could. Now I have mm-hmm. a question because I'm sitting here at Truman Brewery surrounded by cans. I'm that's fine. Um, I just, I always think of drinking a beer you know, pouring it into a glass from a bottle. But obviously a lot of people drink, you know, if, if everyone is going to drink one of these cans, a lot of people are drinking cans of beer. Is there a difference between making a beer in a can and making a beer for a bottle? Because um, to me, it tastes really different. I think that, 
you know, when we put things in the cans and bottles, we treat them exactly the same. So they'll be carbonated, quite often they'll be filtered, or we'll add uh, Super F, which is a vegan fining agent, which will just make it a little bit clearer. Um, so we'll make it fizzier, we'll try and make it clearer. Um, but it's, treat, it's uh, you know, we treat it in exactly the same way. I think that it's a psychological perception that changes it. So when you have it from a can, it's... Uh, you have a totally different experience than when you have it from a bottle. And I think that kind of, you know, it does taste different as well, just because of, you know, the heat from your hands, uh, sort of the way that you hold it, like the length of time that it takes to get to your mouth, things like that. It all has an impact. It's because I don't have too many brewers to come on my show. It's usually spirits, and that comes out of a bottle. Now, I met you first in the um, Truman Arms, the new pub in London. Yeah. How did that come about? Um, so the Newman Arms has been a pub since, I think it's been a pub on that site since 1700s. And I think it's got quite a nefarious past as well. It was uh, you know, a famous pub for a long time, and it sat empty for quite a long time. So, uh, you know, Truman saw that there was this, you know, legendary pub sitting empty in Fitzrovia and, you know, we needed a, we needed a tap room, we needed an outlet for our beer. So it just seemed like the perfect combination. It's, uh, it's another London institution. So it's quite nice to be able to combine the two. Well, all this talk about beer has gotten me thirsty. So (laughs) should we go have some? I think that's a good idea. I want to thank Charlotte for taking the time to meet me at the brewery itself. If you're in London, head to the Truman Arms and sip every style of their beer you can. So you have an idea what might be on tap. I'm forgoing our usual cocktail of the week to give you a guided tour through a few of Truman's special beers. Truman's Brewery has been around since 1666, and thankfully a few of the old recipes were discovered. The first is called London Keeper, a dark and wintry stout based on a Truman's recipe from 1880. Beer writer Pete Brown describes it best. A silky, chocolatey, vinous essential. Look out for it. Put it on your present wish list. In fact, mug, steal, or blackmail to get it if you must. Then we fast forward to a recipe from 1916. This time, it's a barley wine, made from traditional English hops alongside a malt base. Red fruits can be tasted, thus the wine factor. Runner was traditionally the name of a brewery's easy-drinking session beer, available to everyone, everywhere. Truman's Brewery Runner is their interpretation of this, and it's super easy to drink. Now the award-winning beer. To celebrate the reopening of Truman's Brewery, they created Lazarus, a pale gold refreshing beer which has gone on to win tons of awards. Check out their website for all the other beers you can find, or you'll find a selection of these beers in our shop. Back to spirits next week with a little dram of whiskey, more specifically, Chivas Regal. So you want to be a brand ambassador? Well, it's not easy, as our next guest found out when he applied to the Chivas Brand Ambassador Program. You'll discover what they put him through. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of A Lush Life Manual. 
For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde. All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.